Hey guys, this is Emily here, and you are listening to the Made for More podcast. Each episode is full of faith-filled encouragement, focusing on the truths and promises of God. This is a podcast that we will talk about many life topics, seasons, and struggles in a way that will hopefully shift your perspective and focus to one that will leave you feeling confident, knowing that you were made for more. Season two of the Made For More podcast is here. This season is gonna be a little bit different than season one. What I wanna do this season is walk through some well-known stories in the Bible, reoccurring themes, lessons, and topics. As I've participated in small group discussions, I've noticed that there's a lot of mindsets and misconceptions that tend to come up quite often. There are struggles and questions that we've all had and share with each other that I think we could talk about more. From doubting and uncertainty to embracing our weaknesses and purpose in life, there's a broad range of topics to discuss in further detail. I want to walk through the process of how we come to finding conclusions and solutions in our everyday realities. I know that life can be difficult at times, and knowing that you're not the only one brings so much hope. As I go through this series, I want to talk about some of the thought processes, perspectives, and ideas that come to mind as I navigate the scriptures. I'm no theologian, I'm not perfect, I'm human, just like you. So I want this to be an experience that we share together and hope to learn something new along the way. The goal isn't religion, it's about relationship, relationship with God. Learning more about who God is, who we are, and what this life is all about. There is more to the story and more than what we see on the pages. There's so much depth to the scriptures and every time we turn to it, we can come away learning something new. I always say it's not history, it's his story. And when we learn about his story, we walk away knowing that we were made for more. So let's see what more we can learn today. Today marks the first episode of season two. I'm so excited about starting this series. If you haven't yet joined the Facebook group, check the show notes for a link. That's where you'll find what we're covering ahead of time if you want to follow along. What I want to do in this Bible study series is take a look at familiar stories and passages in the Bible from a fresh perspective. Each episode will be focusing on a word, theme, or question. So for this episode, I want to call it Grace in the Garden. As I took a look back at Genesis 1-3 through and went in asking questions, what it all kept pointing back to was grace. So this week, we're starting back in the Garden of Eden. Whether it's your first time reading it for yourself, or you've read it hundreds of times, you'll find some encouragement in today's episode. If you're someone who grew up going to Sunday school, you most likely have an idea of what happened in the Garden of Eden. There's this story of Eve disobeying God, eating this forbidden fruit, and that's when sin entered the world, right? If you haven't heard of the lullaby effect, I want to tell you about it. Because I used to really struggle with studying scriptures. I looked at it more of a quantity over quality. I'd join a Bible study in six months to a year and then quickly get behind. I'd read the words just to mark it off of my what it takes to be a Christian checklist. 
And then the lullaby effect happens when you become so familiar with a text that when you read it, you're not expecting to learn anything new. So you read, gloss over, leaving the same way you came, not having learned anything new. For example, a first-time reader might be confused when the text introduces us to this talking serpent in Genesis. Snakes aren't supposed to be talking, but someone who is so familiar with the reading the text might not even blink at the fact that this serpent is talking and pay no mind to it. That is how I would describe the lullaby effect. And what I want to challenge you to do when you're reading for this study is to read with a goal, expecting to walk away and having learned or noticed something new. So take your time as you read through the text, writing down any notes or questions that come up, and look for anything that stands out to you. For today's episode, we're going to cover Genesis 1-3, through and there's some verses I will bring up to discuss, and it'll be a little easier to follow along if you've read beforehand, but if you didn't have the chance to, you'll still be able to follow along with me either way. A few things that I want to address are this idea of being made in God's image, and the question why and what led Eve to decide to disobey the one rule that God gave them. So let's begin. Let's start by talking about being made in God's image. As I went in to read back in the garden, I went in with this question, why did Eve feel the need to eat from the one tree God had commanded them not to eat from? Man was created in God's image, so the temptation the serpent introduced was, if you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I wondered, was that why she disobeyed God? Was it because she wanted to be like God? Upon reading specifically with those questions in mind, here's what I found. When you look at Genesis 1, 26 through 29, there's some things that stood out to me from this passage. We were made in God's image. We were made after his likeness and given dominion over all the living things in the earth. God blesses them and told them to fill the earth and subdue it, ruling over every living creature. And then in Genesis 2, there's another account of God creating Adam and Eve. And instead of reading it for you, I'll just share some of the main points. In verses 7 through 9, God forms man from the dust of the ground and breathed the breath of life, making man a living being. And God planted a garden in Eden and places Adam there. God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground and all were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then in verses 15 through 19, this is where the Lord puts man into the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And it's here where God gives the first boundary, the first command to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Listen to the words spoken. It says, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. I noticed that God didn't say if you eat from it, but he said when. Now, let's look at the iconic moment itself, the conversation that the fall of man takes place. When the serpent asked Eve, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The two things that I notice here are one, the serpent is questioning what God said. And two, the focus is on what's being withheld versus all that has been given. So this focus on lack. And if we read, we know that that's not what God said at all. To be exact, God's first command was, 
you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, just not the one of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So I went and looked for some of the original Hebrew words used in this verse and found some really interesting stuff. Thanks to studybibletools.com, I found this Hebrew word root, yada, translated no, knowledge, appears almost 950 times in the Hebrew Bible. It has a wider sweep than our English word no, and it includes perceiving, learning, understanding, willing, performing, and experiencing. To know is not to be intellectually informed about some abstract principle, but to apprehend and experience reality. Knowledge is not the possession of information, but rather it's exercise or actualization. So does this make the tree of knowledge of good and evil more like the tree of experiencing good and evil? God said that eating from it had a consequence, that you will certainly die. So back to the conversation with Eve and what she responded to the serpent's question with. The text reads, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That's Genesis 3, 2 through 3. Clearly, her response was not accurate. I picked apart her response to see where she went wrong. She added the command to not touch the fruit. God said nothing about touching it. And when she said the tree is in the midst of the garden, it leads to ask, is she referring to the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Since the text read that they were both in the middle of the garden, right? Was she already, or did she, get confused and think she was forbidden from the tree of life? Did she confuse the trees? Which tree is Eve even talking about? Is the tree the same the serpent is talking about? There's so many things to speculate about what was going on here and what this thought process of Eve was like, but I move forward to look at how the serpent responded to Eve's statement. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. By this statement, we know which tree the serpent was speaking about, and what he said would happen actually does happen, according to Genesis 3.22. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Something else that stood out to me that the serpent said was, you will be like God. This brings me back to the topic of being made in God's image. If we were made in his image and likeness, why did Eve feel that they were lacking? Eve had to have sensed something was lacking if this desire to be like God, gaining wisdom, was in her. We know that they were given abundance, blessed, told to multiply, given authority to rule over everything in the earth. But there's something about being like God that was desirable enough for her to want to go against the boundary that he had set in place. The serpent was made to be subdued by them, cleverness and all. Remember how God had told Adam to rule over and subdue everything in the earth? In this text, the word subdue comes from the Hebrew word verb kavash. Here are some definitions I found for the word subdue. Overcome, bring under control, a feeling or a person. To conquer, bring into subjection. To tread down the enemy and bring them under control. The serpent was one of the many creatures of the earth that they were given authority to subdue. Not only subdue the serpent physically, but anything the serpent said, including its beliefs and its mindsets. Having a little more clarity to what subdue means, 
Here's what I would like to think should have happened when this serpent approached Eve with these questions. One, she should have remembered what God's command actually was. And two, she should have overcome the desire or temptation the serpent's question brought to her. We know that this conversation with a serpent that happened right before Eve made the decision to eat from the tree. The text says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's Genesis 3, 6. So we see that the reasons that she decided to eat from this tree of knowledge of good and evil are the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and was to be desired to make one wise. And if you remember from the verse earlier in Genesis 2-9, God made all the trees good for food and pleasing to the eye. Therefore, the one thing that this tree had that the others didn't was that it gave her a desire. We know this tree has been there all along. The desire wasn't there until after this conversation with the serpent. So it's the temptation, the conversation with the serpent that brought it. The desire came from an idea, a thought outside of the will of God, and a belief that this tree would give her something that she perceived that she did not have, wisdom. She believed this tree would make her wise. So Eve ingested two things that day, forbidden fruit and a lie. She ingested a lie instead of truth. When she believed what the serpent had said, she believed the serpent's lie over God's will and truth that she would certainly die. The serpent introduced this idea of lack, as I said earlier, when Eve was living in abundance. There was a wisdom she perceived to need to take for herself, despite having already been given everything. We read that they're made in the image of God, in the likeness of God, given authority to rule over all the earth, given all the trees except one. So from the reader's point of view, they already have everything and they were free, free to eat from any tree just not one. So their focus shifted from this mentality of abundance to a mentality of lack. Okay, now, next, what is so desirable about wisdom? Well, here's a Proverbs that I read in Proverbs 8, 11. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. And Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If we look back at what the serpent said the tree will do was that it would open her eyes and that she will be like God, knowing good and evil. He didn't say anything about becoming wise. So Eve developed this desire to become wise, and this desire wasn't meant to be filled outside of the will of God. So after they ate from the forbidden tree, Genesis 3-7 says that the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. Before they ate from it, they were naked and unashamed. And after, they are aware of their nakedness and ashamed. It's easy to be outside of the story and say what Eve could have done differently. If only she stored up the instructions God had given her in her heart, so she had them readily available when the serpent questioned what God had really said. The question would have been shot down immediately. Or when the serpent asked her, she could have went to God, admitting she had forgotten the rule and asked for clarity. Then she could have come back to the serpent and explained, hey, you said if I ate from that, that I wouldn't certainly die, but that I would also be like, God, 
Well, first off, I'm already made in the image of God. God gave me all the trees to eat, but one to eat freely from, and then reminded me that I surely would die if I ate from that one. So he also gave me authority to rule over all the creatures of the earth, including you. So what's it matter to you anyways? You're given all the green plants, so go munch on that. And while you're at it, mind your own business. My choice is to do the will of God. Bye. But as we know, that's not how the story unfolded. There are two things that show up immediately after Eve ate from the tree. Shame and blame. What she thought would give her wisdom did not, and her desire was left unfulfilled. Then they attempted to cover themselves with leaves and hide from God when they heard him coming. And when God asked them why they hid, they said because they knew they were naked and afraid. That's when the blame came. They didn't take any responsibility for their own actions. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and the serpent has nobody to blame, and God doesn't even give the serpent any questions or give him the chance to blame anyone. Adam and Eve are still alive, so that leads me to the question, what did God mean when he said, when you eat from it, you will surely die? Since this story is often talked about as when sin entered the world, let's talk about what sin actually is for a minute. Sin simply means to miss the mark. And it has the definition on Britannica.com that sin is the deliberate and purposeful violation of the will of God. And the will of God in this story was to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Since Eve violated the will of God, she therefore sinned. So the way sin produces death is explained well in the verse James 1.15. It reads, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The serpent introduced a theory outside of obeying the will of God. The temptation led Eve to desire to gain wisdom. She let her desire dictate her decision to disobey God. So her desire conceived sin, and sin brings forth death. Romans 5.12 reads, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and this is the way death came to all people, because all sinned. And then Romans 5.18 says, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Romans 6.23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There you have it. The free gift is God's grace given through Jesus. Physically, our bodies will die, and as followers of Jesus, we're told to take up our cross daily. Matthew 16, 24 through 28. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Back to the story in the garden. Ultimately, God sends them out of the Garden of Eden to work out of the ground in which they were taken. The act of removing them from the garden can be viewed as a punishment at first glance, but when you unpack what really happened, it's a protection. This is where God's grace is found in the garden. God saw them in their shame and shows his love by providing them with animal skins to cover their nakedness. He protected them not only by allowing them to not live in this state of shame forever, Because if they ate from the tree of life in their fallen condition, there would be no end to this shame. But God removes that possibility by placing them out of the reach of the tree of life. You know, none of this took God by surprise. Remember how it said, 
when, not if, you eat from it, you will die. Here's one of my favorite verses. In Revelations 22, 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. This to me says that he knows all things, things of past, things of the present and the future in its entirety. He knew that they would disobey and already had a plan. Not only a plan to cover their nakedness in that moment, but to cover their shame with the blood that would be shed by Jesus, his one and only son. God saw not only Adam and Eve's sin, but yours and mine. And he sees each of our lives from beginning to end and gives us his grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3:16. He had a solution for what happened in the garden. His son is the solution. There was grace even in the garden. I like to think that in hindsight, Eve probably wouldn't have made that decision. One thing I can relate to with Eve is that desire to be wise. When the serpent told her that eating from the tree would make her be like God, I can understand how that would sound tempting. Sometimes I call myself a recovering perfectionist. I say recovering because I still catch myself getting disappointed and not meeting expectations that I set up for myself. We're all imperfect. We all have weaknesses, flaws, and make mistakes. It's called being human. I can get caught up in legalism and religion instead of relationship. I've fallen prey to the thought that I need to have everything together in order for God to love me. And sometimes I feel like I need to fix my flaws or even hide them to be in God's presence. Just like Adam and Eve hid from him in the garden, shame makes me want to hide my flaws too. Not only from God, but from others and even myself. And at times it can be really hard for me to admit when I'm wrong and mess up. It's tempting to blame circumstances or someone else. And to be honest, I tend to clench my teeth through most admissions of fault. I'd rather just justify my wrong behaviors with excuses. But what I've learned that's hiding beneath perfectionism is pride. Recently, I was reading a book called Unqualified by Pastor Stephen Furtick. This part really stood out to me. Here is what it said. Criticism is irritating because it reminds us of our flaws that they're still showing even though we're trying so hard to hide them. I don't know how to put this politely, so I'm just going to be blunt. Many of us are simply too proud. We call it perfectionism or excellence, but really it's an obsession with never failing. It's an unwillingness to look bad or admit mistakes. And that makes it hard to be who we really are because who we are is so far from perfect. Then another quote in this chapter said, Perfectionism is the enemy of progress. The impossibility of our perfection is the very reason Jesus died. So there you have it. The impossibility of our perfection is the very reason Jesus died. God knew the mistake Adam and Eve would make. He knew their mistakes and knows all of ours, past and future. We don't need to hide from an all-knowing God. He knows us and still loves us anyways. His love is not conditional, it's unconditional. And nothing we can do or say will ever change that love that he has for us. And that can be a hard truth to wrap our mind around at times. Sometimes I can have a hard time accepting my own weaknesses and failures and I end up projecting my own intolerance of my failures onto God. However, how God feels about you and me is unchanging. His love is set in stone, a rolled away one. The one that was rolled away when Jesus rose from the grave after he died in our place. 
John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. At times, we may feel ashamed and condemn ourselves. We may try to hide, but God didn't send his Son to condemn us. And when we feel like we're not enough or we don't measure up, we can know that our feelings aren't facts. God showed us his love for us in Jesus, and his grace is weaved throughout the scriptures. A verse in scripture that it's always been my favorite is Romans 8.28. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Something in the verse stuck out to me in a new way recently. I always read the all things talking about God working circumstances together for good, but now I see it's not only what's happening around us that God can use, but also what's happening within us. And God uses all our mistakes, failures, flaws, past, present, future ones, and works those together for good too. This story of when sin entered the world didn't end in punishment and shame. The sin doesn't have the final say. The sun does. Just like Adam and Eve were covered in animal skins, God has covered our shame with his grace. To end today's episode, I want to pull a verse from Romans chapter 5 from the readings. Romans 5.15 But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Well, that's all for today's episode. I hope you gained something from the start of our study together and listening to it. We found grace really was there even in the garden. And next week, we'll be talking about wisdom. I look forward to diving into the text next week with you. If you made it to this point, I want to say thanks for listening to this episode. Sometimes it's so hard to choose what is right in a culture that has many definitions of what is right and true. I want to spread the word and feel passionate about sharing truth with others. If you are passionate about helping others learn about what life in Christ is like, then I encourage you to share this message with a friend, post it on your social media, or just talk about it. I would love to have others walk alongside me in helping others become the light of the world. Feel free to reach out to me by email at emily.90.w at gmail.com or you can add me on Instagram at she who creates for him. And you can support this podcast by leaving feedback and ratings. Thank you for being a part of this journey of spreading the word. Bye for now.